This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. We've got a great episode today. It is with Emma, one of the founders of Wild Thing, an often, an oft, who often... A company, a clothing company, which often sponsors this very show. I really like this chat with Emma and, you know, I'm trying to make sure to not just include celebs, um, but also include folks like uh, Sarah Kate Ellis, who works for Glad, or uh, Wade Davis, who is a speaker and uh, professional athlete, um, and also um, folks who are running queer friendly, queer-owned, queer-focused businesses. So that precipitated this conversation with Emma, but I think it is a very good chat. We got into a lot of stuff. I kind of like her. Listen for yourself. I also want to mention that you can grab a copy of Rape Jokes, my most recent special, on vinyl. Um, It is for sale through A Special Thing Records. You can head to the website for a special thing records you can head to um any of my socials and there'll be links all proceeds go to rain it's a really cool limited edition vinyl copies we only made 300 of them and they all come with a download code so if you don't have a record player you can just put it in your device um and then hang the record on your wall and thank you so much to all of you for all of your support so far we've raised um almost ninety thousand dollars and my goal is 100k before the end of this year so i think we can get there and thank you friends enjoy today's episode On this podcast, I have folks introduce themselves. Will you say who you are? Will you introduce yourself? Do they use first and last names? Because do I don't want to be the weird one that you... Like. People usually use their first and last name, but it's also... Uh, I don't know. I like seeing what people say if they introduce themselves. I'm Emma, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Wildfang. Yes! Yes! Uh, you are. I was just in Portland doing shows, and I came into the location that's like a brick-and-mortar store... How many? You did not go into the website. No, I did not. I did not come into Hard the website. Hard to go into. Well, the <laughs> 90s tried to visualize that constantly in movies. Do you remember when that was happening? I do. When they were like, the internet is a city. You know, like it's <laughs> full of tall buildings. Um, I'm thinking of the movie Hackers specifically. But um, yeah, I came into your shop. You were there. We, we hung out and tried on shirts. Um, you got all the things. I got some things. Is that your... You didn't get these overalls, but you should have got these overalls. No, yeah. Coveralls. Oh, okay, coveralls. Wow. <laughs> I just got called out Look, on my tired, own business. you're tired, you're tired, I get it. Coveralls. Um, yeah. So, is that your first... You have how many locations now? Three? Three? Four. Four. I had to think about that. They're Four. in Los Angeles, New York, Portland. What's the fourth one? We have two in Portland. Two Portland. We just doubled up. Uh, East and West. Got it, yeah. Yeah. It's okay. a big place. It is actually, and also like very, different. I see that they're like different. East and West are totally different vibes. Yeah. Like if you're more like 
authentic wildfire to the core, you come and visit us at East. Uh-huh. If you want the real experience, you know, the store that was built by hand with like five grand. Sure. And then if you want the slightly more schmancy experience, you go to the West Side, which is where you went. I went to the West. Well, well that's, that's a lot of sense. where I was staying. It's it does very, make a lot of sense. There are less hotels on the East Side. Uh, that's that's, true. that's just 100% true because that's more residential. Less schmancy ones. Uh, you know what? I tried to stay at Motel a hotel. Motel is on the East Side. Oh, okay. I tried to stay at uh, whatever it's called, the... Is it the Jupiter? Whatever. The Jupiter it was is sold on the east out, side. Um, that particular night. So then I just stayed, don't worry, at a very fancy hotel. I have no side. doubt. Um, but yeah, no, Did the east side's more residential. in points? You know what? I, it's weird. I, I really care a lot about um, airline frequent flyer stuff. Oh no, I thought this was on, it is on airplane mode, but. My little sister is calling in. Does she want to be on the podcast? Via the Wi-Fi. Is you she, know? Is she FOMO? Fancy, right now? fancy, fancy. She's um, like, I heard that Irish chick is on your podcast today. <laughs> Let me in. <laughs> that could happen again. That might not be the first. I hope I hope that... You might get international well, calls. Been, my that was My mom and dad might call. That's what I'm saying. It came in through the Wi-Fi. She's got <sighs> Wi-Fi calling because she doesn't live in this country. So anyway, therefore, it worked its way around. Where is she? The She lives in um, Argentina. Yeah. Yeah, that's not near Ireland. Mm-mm. No, but they both have vowels. <laughs> so anyway, um, <laughs> you live in Portland. The first store was in Portland. Yes. When did the first location open? Uh, August 2013. Website launched in March 13, and then first store was August. Oh, I don't think I realized that. Yeah. I think of Wild Bang as like a, an online business because I don't live in Portland. I well, I was have... online for like six months. Yeah. That's and a, we had no idea what we were doing with the first store, so it may as well still have been online after <laughs> the first store. That's a pretty fast um, ramping up from an online business to a brick and mortar. Yeah, I put it down to naivety and stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> was it not a good That was great. Choice? <laughs> I have no regrets. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Okay, um, well then learn let's... Learn a lot. Learn a lot. Let's rewind a little bit before that. Um what what was going on in your life right before you started Wild Fang? I had a really nice job. Uh, I was a global brand manager at Nike. So I was very I've heard fancy. Of that. I was very fancy. I got to do fancy things all over the world. I did what a does lot that of, mean? What's a global brand manager? Well, so um my last gig was in global football, or as you as you folks call it soccer. Real football, I like to call it. Um, and so I was launching products in all of the emerging market territories. So Brazil and India and Argentina, um, some parts of China, Southeast Asia. Um, so every time a, a product came to market, I had to work with the teams to get the creative live, to get it across channels and to sell a shit ton of shoes. Um, so I was doing that. It was amazing. You know, got to work with some incredible football clubs. I'm a big soccer fan. Um, got to work with some amazing players, you know, the Neymars, wow. the Ronaldos. Um um, so all about consumer insights, all about creating content, all about emotional connection with the consumer, um, getting people really excited about products and services and, and inspiring them to be their best selves. Hey, can I, you might, maybe you know this, I bet you do like worldwide, what portion, cause I think of Nike's cause I'm, cause I am, am American and was 
raised here. Uh, I think of Nikes as like a basketball shoe, right? Like I would imagine that's actually like a big market share. But then I just realized as you were talking that that's like a super American worldview. That is. And that probably they sell more football shoes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They sell Uh, more cleats. Like, like what, do you know what their biggest, or is it like casual? So that first business was running. Oh, running. They started in running. No, no. I mean, of course they started in running, but like, do you know what they, like what Uh, they sell? Basketball is actually not a big business. Ha! It's not a big We're business. We're an idiot. It's not. It's not a big business. No, I believe. I there's believe only you. like if you think about there's how many four. pros play and yeah. then how many regular humans play, like hardcore play. It's actually not that many. Well, in the United States, it's a lot of people. And is there other? Are there other places? There are other companies <laughs> in the world. There are. So like market share, it's uh, basketball's so, really small. Yeah. Is like soccer the biggest one? Uh, running still the biggest category. Running still the biggest category because yeah, you know it's. Not that hard to get out and Humans run. just run. They yes. just run. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, so running's still big. Uh, I think soccer's probably second biggest. But yeah, basketball's it's probably top five, you know? Well, sometimes as an American, you can go, I don't know anything. And that's almost every day. <laughs> well, it's a lot like your World Series, right? How, how many, oh, com- I mean, I think how many countries are in the World Series? Uh, almost never Canada. <laughs> so just us. <laughs> right. That's a weird World Series. It is. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I also think about it because I moved here. And when I moved here, I was officially called an a legal alien. Yes. Which basically means there's the US and then the rest of the world. That's but right. The rest of the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an alien. If you're not from here, you're an alien. Did so, you say Did you say legal alien? Yeah, that's what they call you. That's what they call you. Yeah. Versus an illegal alien. I know, yeah. Um, did you get your, did you move to the US uh, with a job? I did. So I was very, very lucky. Tons of privilege. I moved here with Nike, so they, they had it all figured they, out. They, like, figure it all out. Totally figured yeah. it out. But, uh, yeah, I'm an American now. Um, when did that happen? Well, I was, I was thinking I would get it to vote for Hillary. <laughs> and uh, that uh, I got it after Hillary didn't get elected. And so um, I got my American citizenship under President Trump. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that was shit. <laughs> well, I mean, how how long did that process take? It you? takes it takes a while. Um, once you've had your green card five years, it gets faster. Okay, but, yeah, um, yeah. I got it last year, so I went. And I waved the flag, and I did not stand beside the cardboard cutout of the president. Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting that you came over here uh, th- with like a, a big company like that because I'm sure they have a ton of oh, sway, yeah. and it's like oh yeah, and like I I was you walk in, walk out. You have this like you have. Eight thousand pieces of paper. You walk in, they stamp it, and you walk out. Wow. Yeah. I I was dating someone in my twenties who's um who's an artist and was trying to get like and transition from a student visa to an artist visa or like a human visa, like a working <laughs> visa, not like a student visa. Yeah. And to do that as an artist, oh god, I wish I could remember the term. You might know it. It's um horrible. I think it's no. I think it's <laughs> I think it's alien of like extreme. Oh yeah, yeah. The, uh, the it's the genius. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. the genius. It's, it's category E. It means you're like this special yeah, like, thing entertainer talent oh, that can't be found anywhere else. Right. It's like alien of extreme talents yeah. or something like that. I, I, I'm gonna look close. it up and, you're and pretty close. But she was a dancer and like you know um, working professionally, but like the person who. They're so specific about who gets to have those visas. Like the person who has that is like Barishnikov. Like, you know, like, so she's like, okay, so I'm like 25 and like, like a working artist. And then like went in to see an immigration lawyer and they were like, I mean, just so you know, that's 
that's who you're going to be yeah. like competing with yeah. in this category. Totally. Um, yeah, I didn't get that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got that. <laughs> average. Regular <laughs> Alien human. of average. <laughs> average need. We averagely need you. Please stay. Yeah, I got that one. So you worked at Nike for how long? Seven years. I started in London and then I moved. What, um, is it, what were you doing before that? Uh, wow, we're going way back. I was uh, I was doing a similar job on the Premier League, which is also soccer. Cameron. Got it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I'm I just don't. breaking it down because it's not <laughs> basketball and it's not American. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was working, I worked for Barclays, which is a big bank that used to have all the rights to the Premier League, so I used to market that. Wait, what? Hang on. So Barclays, so, yes. Barclays is the main sponsor, right? So they pay yeah. like almost 70 million pounds for sponsorship rights. Got and it. then my job was... They call it exploit, but basically spend those rights. Have fun with those rights. So what does that mean? Oh, like perimeter boards that matches, uh, advertisements and programs, taking kids, oh. like really wealthy bankers and stuff. You take their kids out onto the pitch and everybody cheers and um, they get to be a mascot or um, credit card promotions. I mean, it's really, it's it's not that exciting. But Did you play? <laughs> Were you an athlete? I I am retired, yes. Yes? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been in better shape. But no, no, I just mean like growing up and then like, or what, what portion of your life did you play? Yeah, I was pretty hardcore. Um, I, yeah, I played a ton of sport from like three, two to probably, I don't know, 20, 20 something before I started really getting into my college drinking phase. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so a lot of sports, super sport nerd, what? track, football, golf, eh? I played. I, I good queers I on the also, golf course. Yeah, I also participated yeah. in all of those sports. So golf and uh, field hockey. I might have to oh, explain I, that one to I, you. I know what it is. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not from. Hey, I played rugby in college. Ooh. Just blah. Look at me. I'll stop <laughs> shaming what me. Did you play in rugby? I was a flanker. Wow. Yeah. Was it a small team? <laughs> uh, actually, my team was pretty small. We, uh, were you any but good? no, like there were like good some team. big props and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like Flanker, you don't have to be like a big yeah, but human. You're really small. I'm really tough. Got it. <laughs> also important. What? Also, we are like the same size. Nope. Yes, we are. No, for the purposes of the tape, Cameron's at least six <laughs> inches smaller and 40 pounds lighter. No, we are the same size. Sure. My chair is higher, so I think actually I might actually. I'm you're feeling bigger I might today. Be taller than you. Um, so you didn't you, play rugby. You didn't play rugby. Wow. How embarrassing I hadn't for you. fully hit my gay phase at that point. <laughs> I, like I, was, I would have been a little early. Came into that a little later. So you played... All, actually, th this is interesting to me, though, because one thing I think about a lot is how many more uh, young women play sports these days. And especially in the U.S. where Title IX passed, and so there have to be like, there has to be equal programming for men and women at universities, things like that. So, like... There are more women training to play sports, mm -hmm. but professionally, there's it's still shit money. Yeah. And so if the best thing ever happens to you and you like start when you're a young child and you go through schooling and you're like a gifted athlete and then you make it pro, it it oftentimes isn't a full-time job. This like is true. people in the WNBA or people yep. that play pro soccer that are women uh like are like nurses. Yeah, and then they you have even like get, other full time jobs. Totally. And then you even get the ones who legitimately are the best in the world. So a couple of the girls we work a lot with are Abby Wambach and Megan Rubino, and they're better 
Yeah. Arguably, I think on paper, the stats would stack up to say they, they are better and more successful than the men's team. And they still don't make as much money. Oh, yeah, right. You know? Exactly. So, yeah. Um, so best case scenario, you're being trained for like an eventuality that will like never come. You know, like you also won't be that's super depressed. thrown up on people's. <laughs> well, I'm what I think is interesting is thinking about you transitioning it into a career like that you made an opportunity for yourself using all those skills to at least like get paid yeah. and join up at Nike. Like that to me is a silver lining on something that usually depresses me quite a bit because yeah, you know, truthfully I think I watched it. So the other half of that story is my big brother was an Olympic runner. Ah. So, uh, obviously male, not female, but, uh, he made, he made very little money. Um, and I, I watched that like literally, you know, we were best friends. So I watched that from trackside. And so I think after I watched him and I mean, he was 10th in the world, right? So he was, he was pretty good. Um, and I watched that and then was like, probably don't want to do that. Wow. Um, actually I had two big brothers and one of them was a doctor and the other was a professional athlete. And I was like, what should I be when I grew up? And they were both like, don't do this. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't do what I'm doing. So then I picked something else. Which was start a start a clothing company. No, that was that was a leader and potentially <laughs> perilous decision. But but the Nike decision was good. Yeah. That part was good. Do you still feel like this was a perilous decision? Every day is perilous. <laughs> Tell me about that. Because I, I do think it's I mean, I'm I'm somebody who uh like decided to take a risk and create something as opposed to like work at a large corporation. And so I can relate to yeah, what you're talking about, but I'd love to hear what the experience is like for you. I mean, the the highs and lows of being the the CEO of a startup are just bananas. They're completely bananas. You know, the the highs are, um, you know, you pull up Instagram and like Janelle Monae has burst onto the stage at Coachella wearing your shirt, you know, and you're like, what? And she bought it. We didn't even give her it, you know, and you're like. What the hell just what happened? What shirt was it? Like the feminist? Wild Feminist shirt? Yeah, she burst. She wasn't even on the, I mean, it couldn't have been a more perfect moment to be a Wild Feminist. She burst out through Grimes' set. She wasn't even on the list, you know, to play. So she does this super provocative thing and wears the perfect shirt to do it. And she just does it because she loves us. Like, not for any other reason, you know, which in this day and age is a little weird, right? Because uh, Janelle can certainly make bank um with any endorsement she does. Um, but yeah, so you have a high like that. Um, and then you have, you know, a low, like, uh, you, you, I mean, remember I've never done this before. Right. So I'm, I'm good at marketing and I'm crap at everything else. So I had to learn it all. So, um, then you get like a lawsuit on your desk that's completely fake and completely bogus for like a million bucks. And you're like, what do I do with that then? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let me call my legal team. Oh, that's me. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask, like, what size what size company are you staff-wise? So we have, we have 15 people in the core team that do pretty much everything. And then we have our store staff. Um, so there's about 30 people in the total family. Um, but, like, in the core team who make the product, you know, design the product, do all the comms, do all the operations, finance, accounting, styling, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, there's 15 of us. So it's pretty small. Does most of your business still come in through the internet versus yeah. in-store? The interwebs. Yes. Um, okay. I also think there's some... But there's a good handshake between those two channels, which is super important, you know, which I think is missing right now in retail. Wait, what do you mean? Mm. Uh, you know, people, like, every time you open New York Times, people are like, oh, it's the death of retail, the death of retail. And you're like, yeah, all those stores should die. They're shit. Like, when was <laughs> the last time you went to a Macy's, right? Like, fluorescent, you know, lighting... No visuals, staff who don't care, 5,000 square feet. And I'm so sorry if anyone from Macy's listens to this podcast. But 
you know, we, we don't tell the right story in the media because this there are plenty of stores that are thriving and doing great, right? The Warby Parkers, the AYRs. Um, yeah, so I, th- I, I think it's, um, I think there's a really important role for physical retail, you know? Um, there's a reason you came into our store, right? Like, um, especially for a brand that's trying to create community and create a platform and create a safe space. It's really hard to do that online, you know? So through our events, um, you know, through touching and feeling the product, through utterly amazing store staff that we have that can see you and recognize you and make you feel safe, you know, that's all really hard to do online. So for me, there's still a super important handshake. Um, Like if I think about, you know, in the last two weeks at our store in Portland, like we've, we had Cecile Richards there doing a panel. She's fucking awesome. Um, She is awesome. uh, The week before that, we had the first black Supreme Court justice in Oregon, um, Adrian Nelson. And if you know Oregon's history. It was the only, Oregon was the only state ever admitted to the union as a whites only state. So we have this super dark, dark history. And, you know, now my friend is, uh, is a Supreme Court justice, the newest Supreme Court justice. She also happens to be black, you know, so it's like, uh, we get to host stuff like that, you know, and Cecile, I didn't even know she was coming to town. She requested to do an event at Wildfang, you know, and so you, I don't know how to do that online, you know, I don't know how to, and, and people leave those events, uh, you know, the the room for both of those was completely packed. I think there was over 2,200 people tried to go to the Adrian Nelson event, and our store holds 150. So, um, you know, being able to provide that kind of atmosphere, that kind of access, that kind of safety. Um, like tonight, um, it is election day, and we're throwing election parties all across the U.S., you know, to basically say, look, I have no fucking idea what's going to happen, but I would rather... If you want to be informed and you want to be with people that love you and in a space with people who probably think the same way as you, come come down to wildfang, you know, and I, I don't know how to do that online. Right. Right. What did you do with those surplus folks? Those extra two thousand <laughs> those extra two thousand yeah, people. Yeah, we we had to do we did a Facebook live, which is obviously not the same thing, but we that was yeah. the best we could do without getting shut down by the fire marshal. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I think um it is really important to have spaces. It's difficult when it's it's difficult to know where where to go right now, especially for like queer folks, because, um, so many bars are closing Yep. and then, I mean, the good news is there are coffee shops that are like have existed. And then some that I think are almost popping up as like a replacement, because I don't know that we need the, at least in my direct experience, I've seen a little bit of distancing with the alcohol as a center, Mm -hmm. um, for creating space. But then, you know, I hear what you're saying. You're still a store. So there's that, which is like, you know, odd as a hub, you know, creates like a little bit of a a need to buy in. But you're also a store that's in a business that's operating very, doing some interesting things. I mean, there's, you know, I don't think it's sinister to be very deliberate with from a marketing perspective with the things that you're choosing to do that are responsible. For instance, like in the ad copy I read on query, you mention saving the last abortion clinic in North Dakota and South Dakota, South Dakota. God, Sioux Falls. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if we saved it, but we, we wrote them a massive check. We wrote them a six figure check. So that was, I mean, I remember watching that happen on the internet um, and thinking that that was a really impressive. Can you talk to me about how that, okay, so how did that even come yeah. into your purview? Yeah, and I, I mean, I'll tell you the behind the scenes version, which is um, 
that was a pretty scary campaign um, for us because, uh, and you know, there's people that'll be listening that'll be like, oh, you know, be braver. But um, I can't think of another brand that talks about abortion. Never mind, we actually allowed a woman to buy another woman's abortion. Like that's a pretty fucking bold thing to do. Um, uh, and so Can we're you, is, yeah, are you, yeah, are you about yeah, to so tell that story? Because yeah, I so, don't actually know that part. Well, of it. so where it came from was so basically um, myself and my partner in crime, um, Tarlin, who's our, our creative director, um, and she, you know, she's been with me since the start. Um, we realized that you know we'd all this marketing plan, like emails and all this other stuff, new products launching. It was January, and then we both realized that the forty fifth anniversary of Roe v. Wade was coming up, and we were like, "Fuck, you know what? Of all the rights that we have, that one actually." No one's talking about, but probably should be, right? And so I managed to get hold of Sarah Weddington, who's super cool. Um, uh, Sarah Weddington was a lawyer who who won Roe v. Wade in the Supreme Court. And what's cool is um, not only that she did that, but she's still the youngest person to ever win a case in front of the Supreme Court. She was 26. <laughs> I actually didn't know that. Know. And this is like one of my issues. <laughs> so, okay. These All right. Um, yeah, so I can I can nerd out on, on some of that stuff. But yeah, she's, she's cool. Like uh, we chatted and she told me all these stories like in the green room. Um, there's no there was no women's bathroom because there'd never been uh, like a women lawyer basically argue. And there was no uh, I think Sandra Day O'Connor had just joined the bench maybe. So, um, yeah, anyway, so she's 26 um, and she gets up there, you know, and there's all these famous moments in that trial where um you know, they're like, uh, Ms. Weddington, are you arguing, you know, this constitutional point or this? And she's like, I'm arguing whichever one it is that will win me this kit. Like she has, she is flying by the seat of her pants, right? So, um, and she has no idea how big what she's about to do is. So I'm talking to her. And what I realized during this conversation is she starts to talk to me about trap laws, which are the laws that are put in place to restrict um the ability for an abortion clinic to operate. Um, and she's like, hey, everybody's focused on the Supreme Court, but they're focused on the wrong thing. Um, or they're too focused on that. W- what's happening in multiple states is they're finding ways to shut down abortion clinics, um, even though it's federally, uh, it's a federal law to have an abortion, right? And so um, there's seven states in the US, I believe this is still true today, seven states in the US where there's one abortion clinic. And when that clinic shuts, you ain't getting it back open again, right? So um, they, they introduce all these crazy laws like, Um, You have to see the same doctor twice in three days and you have to, um, you you know, your waiting room has to be this dimension and you have to read these materials. Like there's all these ridiculous things that get put in place. And, you know, if we're going to drop into stats, I believe that pregnancy is actually four. It's either seven or 14 times more dangerous than an abortion. Right. So there's all this basically bullshit that surrounds abortion, abortion documentation, abortion uh, stats. So I'm talking to her. I find out there's seven clinics. With seven states where there's one clinic left. I get in touch with one of those, which was Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I phone them up and I have no idea what I'm doing. And I phone them up and I'm like, hey, can I talk to somebody about your clinic and what it does? And they're like, who are you? And I'm like, oh, I run this little business in Portland. Um, and they're like, well, what do you want to do with us? And I'm like, I don't actually know yet, but in a week we're going to have this really important anniversary and I'd like to do something to raise a lot of money. But in true Wild Fang style, it may raise no money or a lot of money and you have to be okay if I end up writing you a check for 10 bucks or more. Right. And they were like, truthfully, um, uh, they burst into tears and I'm not making that up. And then I burst into tears and they were like, we don't understand why someone in Portland would give a shit about someone in South Dakota. And I was like, I think that's the point, right? I think if we don't give a shit about a woman in South Dakota, we have a bigger problem. Um, And they started telling me all these stories. They told me that uh, women in South Dakota, I think it's over 60% of the women that access that clinic. um, The majority of women who access that clinic travel 350 
uh, miles or more in public transport. Um, the majority of women who access that clinic are already mothers. Um, they have to they have to fly in doctors because of the hostility from another state. So that's a huge cost. They have round-the-clock security. Uh, you have to see the same doctor twice in three days, which means if the doctor flies in and you see them on a Friday, you're screwed. Like, they've just made it so difficult to operate the clinic. And these amazing people are basically just, like, getting out there and doing this good work, right? So I was like, fuck it, let's try and raise some money for them. So we started an Indiegogo because... Um, our site couldn't cope with that kind of, we wanted to just give all the money away. So we started Indiegogo and we put up some t-shirts and hats and other stuff that you could buy. And one of the things that you could buy was just another woman's abortion. We didn't touch a penny of it. We It was nothing to do with us. It just goes straight to the clinic. And when a woman walks in, that money uh, provides her abortion. And so, um, yeah, I think it was super brave. I think it was really, I, I haven't seen another brand do anything quite as brave in that space. Um, and we were able to raise over a hundred thousand dollars. Um, you know, all, uh, the only cost that Wildfang took out of it was like the bare minimum product cost. So we, we hand over like 90 something percent of that money. Um, and it was just cool. It was cool to see their reaction. Um, they end up flying out to see us. Um, and it was cool to see like the letters and stuff we got from people being like, man, I grew up in North Dakota or I grew up in South Dakota. Like what you're doing is, is so needed, you know? Um, so yeah, that's the cool stuff we get to do once in a while. Um, that is very cool. Hello from the Magic Tavern is a fully improvised comedy chat show set in a magical world hosted by a wizard, a talking badger, and a guy from Chicago who fell through a dimensional portal. It's like Cheers in Middle Earth, or It's Always Sunny in Narnia. This week, they're doing a special book club episode where the hosts, a barbarian and a talking flower, read Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Friends, you can listen to Paul F. Tompkins, Lauren Lapkus, Sean Hayes, Felicia Day, Jordan Klepper, and many more... When you check out Hello from the Magic Tavern on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Today's episode of Query is sponsored by Outdoor Voices. Outdoor Voices makes high-quality, active apparel to take you from gym life to everyday life seamlessly and fashionably. Outdoor Voices clothing is engineered for performance and designed to have fun with the fabric offered for every single type of activity. Yeah, like they've got their signature textured compression that keeps you all tight, tightly squeezed as you hike, jog, or walk. But their tech sweat material, yeah, that wicks sweat away and keeps you dry. Outdoor Voices has a tons of different cuts, lots of options for running shorts or yoga pants or hike stuff. Head over to OutdoorVoices.com to check out everything they've got to offer. Friends, I got some shorts from Outdoor Voices. I really like them. They got some sweet feeling material. I got them from the men's section because you can get 20% off your first order of $100 or more. 20% off your first order of $100 or more when you visit OutdoorVoices.com slash query and enter query. That's OutdoorVoices.com slash query, enter query for 20% off your first order of $100 or more. In joie. When was this? I don't know. A couple years ago, I um, was talking about abortion on stage at my show at the UCB, um, which is a theater here in town. And like, it was like 
gra- grainy shot on a phone and I put it on whatever. I didn't even know. It must have been YouTube or something. And it went all over the place, like was reposted all over the place. And even by Planned Parenthood, which made me realize that it is an issue that I think it's like weirdly um, left behind even by like the most progressive people. Yeah, it's I not agree. like it's not like an issue. It's not like something um, that folks, I think, don't vote on, you know, but I but I feel like um, on, you know, on the left or progress, progress, progressive folks like we really don't talk about it. We no. really don't talk about no, we don't. the reality in a way that um, provides like any alternative talking points. By the way, like that's not everybody. I mean, there's an amazing organization, Shout Your Abortion. Yeah. Um, uh, and Amelia and Lindy, who are part of that, are doing amazing work. But I feel like I, I just couldn't believe it. Like, I guess what I'm saying is it, was it, it wasn't like a beautifully shot video. It was like kind of dark. I made some really good points, you know, whatever. But I, it made me realize like if this is something that like the organization itself is like so excited about, that it, it was such a big deal to them that um, I was invited to host their national. I saw. Yeah, their national gala cool. that year, which is really cool because um, it doesn't just provide it's like a dinner and the board is there who are these like really high profile Mm -hmm. folks but then providers are there yeah and that year it was really interesting because folks from the clinic in colorado that had a a gunman had come in and they opened the next day um those folks were there including like the ceo of that particular branch and that was amazing to hear from them um kesha was there and performed and this was during all of yeah, the stuff that, that was shit. going on in her life um and yeah we have this we have this event at our store called free speech and it's kind of it's a storytelling event and it's similar mm-hmm. to the moth or mortified the exceptions are one um for 11 months of the year it's female identified only um, one month of the year we do, um, uh, gender nonconforming, um, non-binary trans night. Um, but for 11 months of the year, it's, it's, it's female only. Uh, there's no competition. You don't get judged. You don't get marked. Nobody wins. It's just like, get up there. You might tank, you might do great, like get up there and tell your story. And it's amazing. Like people talk about everything. They talk about rape. They talk about uh, being the only black person in Portland. They talk about misogyny. I mean, they talk about all this stuff and it has a tone from really funny to really sad. Like people tell all kinds of stories. It still surprises me, um, the reaction when someone tells an abortion story. Like, Mm. it's still like, oh, wow, she said that out loud, you know? And you're like, yeah, it's a federal right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a federal right. It's a a safety. It provides safety. It's it's also a medical procedure. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is that also it just so happened that the night of that that gala uh, was the night— that Hillary Clinton secured the nomination, the Democratic nomination. She was supposed to, for, for, um, not perform, that's not the <laughs> word, give a speech at the breakfast that yeah. happened the next morning just for providers. And she came, I was I was at that breakfast. It was the first speech that she gave after securing the nomination. Almost no like press yes. happened about this, which I, I mean, just like really saying, and she spoke for an hour and she spoke specifically about the effects of Roe on um, our earning power and on um, women's 
uh, ability to enter the workforce and how um, you cannot separate out. And also like the work that Planned Parenthood did with um, the pill and like how – uh, women fill, finish college and contraception. Yes, and how uh, women fill, finish college at like you can just tie it back to this so specifically. It's not like a side effect is that women <laughs> finish college. It's like a direct effect is that women f- finish college, and um, I just couldn't believe that that speech. Like I couldn't believe I was there to hear somebody pretty special talk about that yeah. for an hour and talk about how important um, access to abortion, access to contraception are just in the way that families have been restructured and the way that individuals can now make make money and support themselves, don't have to get married mm-hmm. for safety, uh, financial safety. And so... Oh, those are the I days. Mean, yeah, I mean, well, and also, like, that she knew so much about it from a legal perspective. I mean, really blew me away, obviously. She's a lawyer. She's a lawyer. And... Also, Cecile was the president at the time, and they've known each other for a long time because yep. of Aunt Richards yep. and both of them being just in political families for a very long time. I, whatever um, else happened since then, I I can't believe that we ha- don't have more moments like that where um, people are able to talk to each other about the real about the reality of abortion. No, I think it's still a huge topic of shame for most people. Yes. Yeah. Topic of shame for folks who have had abortions and then also just like as a thing to support. I just mean like stand-up comics don't <laughs> talk about abortion. Like truly, you yeah, know? Yeah, I bet. I mean, if stand-up comics don't talk about it, that means it's like truly Oof. taboo. You know what I mean? Oof, your world, not mine. But yeah, that's a tough crowd. Well. Get out there, tell good jokes. People. You made me. You made me think about. It. I'm, I'm just gonna drop loads of interesting. Well, I think they're interesting facts. On yeah. Day. Tomboy. The word tomboy. Uh, the word tomboy actually originated uh, way back when uh, women were supposed to get married for um, all the reasons you just listed. You know, economic and uh, you know uh, to be otherwise dominated by the so male that their dad right. couldn't get some goats or hundred percent hundred percent goats they didn't mention goats in the book but i'm sure that uh-huh. was a part of it um yeah so the, the the word tomboy came about because the only reason that a woman could there was only two reasons they could imagine that a woman would be single uh, either she was a prostitute so she was earning her own money somewhere else uh, or she was a lesbian and that's where the word came from mm-hmm. which is why the word tom is in front of it right anyway don't know why i thought i'd tell you that but no i've dropped it on you now well we can't go back. I mean, that is well, the reason. I, you can, you can I mean, I it. will say that is the reason I'm not married to a man because I'm a lesbian. See, that's so actually half of it. Yeah, that's actually correct in my case. It would have been a big fact to drop to say that you were a prostitute also. That would have been. I, I mean, I've never done sex work, but I'm only 37. There's time. We don't know what There's the time. future will hold. Boy, have we covered a lot of things. First a lot of, all, of topics. I just want to say we're nailing it already. I want to hear about your decision to start a business. And hey, speaking of tomboys um like why wild thing where was the where did the idea pop up pop up yeah um me and my my best buddy uh we worked together at nike and um we, you know we just had that friendship we were always coming up with ideas and we were shopping one day in the men's department uh i was looking for a graphic tee uh she was looking for a blazer um and i'm sure many people uh listen to this understand that all the good stuff is normally in the men's department so like 
you know, the blazers in the women's department, the button-ups in the women's department, they tend to have crappy details, right? They have no locker lips, they have no box plates, they've got fake pockets, they've got fake buttons, right? It's the same old story. Um, and uh, she gravitated to this really cool one with little patches on the elbows in the men's department, but she is tiny. And so it looked like a giant oversized comical blazer. And then I was looking for a graphic tee that was actually graphic, uh, so that wasn't like flowers and shit. Um, not really my, my vibe. So I find this really cool graphic tee in the men's department with like a semi-clad Kate Moss and she was rolling around in bed and uh, she was giving the middle finger to the camera and I was like, yes, I want that. And then we both tried them on. Hers was massive, even in the tiniest size. And then mine was like had a really high crew neck and like really tight in the hips. And that that was the conversation. She said, you know, it's kind of weird. This was 2010 and she was like super weird that clothing is genderized at all. That makes no sense. Like why? why can't any human wear these great silhouettes? And so I was like, you know, that's a really great point. I hadn't thought that. And that was where Wildfang was born. Mm. When you when you had that conversation, what's the next like business step that you took? <laughs> More chats, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of chats. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, that was July 2010, and we started the business in March 13. So hang with me on this journey. Yeah. Um, so the next year was like, I'm not doing this. I have a great job. How can I help you? Uh, you should do this. Um, and she wanted to have, her name is Julia. She wanted to have a small store in Portland where she could bring her dog to work and set the playlist up every morning. Mm. Um, that was her goal. And so uh, I spent the next year doing consumer insight work. So I talked to, uh, I did 43 in-home interviews each for four hours with tons of different women. Um, and just talk to them about uh, the idea and their shopping and their habits and the clothes they rocked and what they thought wasn't available and was available and like their favorite pieces in their wardrobe and their least favorite pieces. And then I came back from that and I was like, oh, Jules, this is massive. Like, this is massive. I want in. I definitely want in. I'm doing this. Um, and what was interesting is even though those those women were were pretty wide in, in their aesthetic and in their their you know, maybe how you might have seen them from 100 yards away on the street, like they all looked fairly different. Um, they had similar values, like they had similar attitudes. And so for me, I saw an opportunity to, uh, you know, to create a uniform for them, a thing that was missing in their wardrobe, but also like with a really bold, provocative voice that was missing in their world. So I was like, yo, we're going to build a website. We're not going to have a small store and you can't bring your dog to work. And, um, <laughs> well, if it's a website. Well, no, she, she did bring her dog to work. The dog to the website. I actually brought, I used to bring my cat to work as well. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. No. Yeah. My cat used to sleep in the clothes. Oh my God. Amazing. Well, I really hope I got some of those clothes because I'm super allergic. <laughs> um, friend. Okay. Um, when you say they had similar values, mm -hmm. what did you notice? Like, what were those folks talking about? Uh, they all followed the same people on social media. Um, they all shared the same articles, stuff like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, so there's clearly a... And then the last piece of that research was that when I talked to them about retail, they were like, uh, I couldn't give a shit. Like, there's no store I want to shop in. So it's in. like, no I don't brand. have anywhere to go. Was it like a social responsibility thing that you were finding when you were looking at who they follow and... No, what it was just like... What was the... What was like opinion, the... Opinion, like attitude like they just wanted someone to speak up for their beliefs and speak up for the stuff they cared about like no one was doing that you know but what were the things they cared about that's oh, I mean, what i'm wondering gay rights being queer uh being whoever the fuck you want to be um expressing yourself however the fuck you want to express yourself um uh social justice stuff was a part of it uh racial justice um 
women's role, women's role in companies, women's role in the house, women, like there was just all sorts of stuff came up, gender parity, um, equal wage. Um, yeah, so it, there was a really broad range of issues that came up, but the bottom line was they were like, there's no retailer, like I don't, I'm not going to run out and get a Nordstrom tattoo. Like I, there's no retailer I really care about. Like I shop at Urban because it's got so much stuff and something will be on sale. Like that was the answer I got, you know? Mm. And I was like, man, what if you could create a place where people walked in the door? Uh, and I do want to come back to something else you said about shopping, but um, what if you created this place where they walked in the door and were like, I feel really fucking good to be here. Like, what would that look like? That's rad. Um, and that was all we wanted to do. And you said earlier, you know, like there's this commercial pressure because we're a store. Actually, that's why we put a carving wall in and that's why we put swings in our stores. And the, like the idea was, I was very clear with all our store managers. Uh, and, you know, when we built out stores, it was like, if someone has just broken up with their partner and just wants to come in and cry, give them a free beer and like let them sit on the swing. Like that was the point, right? It wasn't... I mean, I hate shopping, if you want to be perfectly honest. I hate shopping. I really hate it. And I have no fashion sense whatsoever. <laughs> but you look cool in those That's because someone else dresses coveralls. me. Yeah. And you know what? One item and you're dressed. So, so that's amazing. Different. I do need to have some of those. I need to figure out how to get them. Um, wait, here's a question. Um, so you are saying you don't have any fashion sense. Who do you rely on for that? That's Tarlin. Yeah. That's the creative director. And so, like, are you... The stuff that she picks and the stuff that she's building out. Um, is it, what, what's the, what's the framework for that? Like how, like what's the vision for what she's picking? Uh, there's a load of stuff goes into it. Some of it is consumer insight. So we sit down with a bunch of our consumers. We figure out like what they're happy with in our line, what they're not, what they want next. Um, and we do that uh, at least, at least once a season. Um, so we sit down with them a ton. Um, and you know, Honestly, we do that every day in the store. We're like, what do you like? What do you not? So some of it's consumer insights, some of it's trend. Like, where's trend going? And obviously, because we're kind of men's, we're inspired um, or, you know, steal our styles from the boys. We um, were, were massively influenced by the trends of men's wear. So that's a big part of it, right? So when, like, Yves Saint Laurent in 70s was in or when Punk and Creepers, and, you know. So um, some of it's, uh, I don't know that I'll say runway, but just more trends in, in the men's fashion space. Um, and then some of it is just, shit we want to do because it's fun and one of us really wants it to exist <laughs> i mean if you don't get to do that stuff then <laughs> that was kind of like the coveralls conversation we yeah. did we did workwear because i just really wanted some workwear <laughs> i was gonna ask you know how much of it is like the relief of providing yourself the thing <laughs> that you want which i mean like i don't i don't think is I actually don't think is a, a negative or bad motivator for like queer folks or for sure. for marginalized communities. Like that's part of the reason that I do my job is because I'm like, I wish that I had someone to listen to that like said the stuff that I want to say. Well, shit, I guess I'll I guess I'll be that person because then at least I can like listen to myself yeah, when I talk I <laughs> or whatever. It. Yeah, I think. Well, a couple of things I'll say. One is everything I buy goes on sale. So I, I am like, I am like the key, like North star of what not to put into our assortment, you know? Um, okay. every time I get really excited about something that's definitely going to be on sale end of season, big markdown, that's 70% really off. Funny. So, um, so that's one data point. And then the other one is you just learn, like, again, you know, the queer space, um, female identified space. I mean, there's such massive spectrum. So you learn really quickly that your style is not everyone's style. Right. And so, um, that's why we try to make sure we have a, a range of stuff that's going to work, 
in a bunch of different ways. And that's what I love about a lot of our product. Like um, you, you can normally spin it at least a, two or three different ways, um, depending on what, what your like aesthetic preference is. What about the brand identity as like its relation to queerness? Because I, I see the connection there. It's not that it's not there, but it's also not to me when I look at, you know, like the website or something like that, it also isn't something that's like, we are a queer brand. I think it's like, it seems to be connected, but not sure. exclusive or explicit. And I'm wondering like, well, I guess like, what do you hear from straight folks or, you know, what, where's your positioning there? What, yeah, yeah, what are you yeah, trying to do that. in that space? I mean, um, there's like, I've, this is a big topic, so I'll like punch it from a few different ways and then let yeah. it go. Cause we don't have two bottles of wine, but, um, one thing, you know, I, I'm very respectful of, you know, the communities that were already rocking this before we came along. Right. And, and one of those was the queer communities. And so I do consider us a queer brand. I also consider us uh, a black brand and an immigrant brand and, uh, a female identified brand, which is trans inclusive, you know, like I, I consider us to be really important to a lot of communities. Um, and that's, that's how I think of it. So if the queer community sees us as their own, that's fucking great. But I hope there's other communities that see us as their own too, because, um, you know, you want to look at Gen Z in the future of this country. Um, we are going to have the most fluid identity of any generation yet. Right. So that generation is going to be, um, majority are going to identify as not straight. Uh, the majority identifies coming from an ethnic minority race. The majority know someone with a they or them pronoun. Like we're, we're headed into this future that is uh, a very different way of looking at identity than we've been before. And so I want the brand to have that elasticity. Um, I'm also really proud of, uh, I, I do want it to be mass and I do want to change norms around gender full stop. Um, and, and that's, that's bigger than the queer community alone. Um, and, and that's why we do, you know, uh, that's why we raised $250,000 for races when we did our, I really care jacket, right? We, we felt strongly about immigration and, and how immigrants are seen in the popular culture, popular media. Anyway, uh, I, I don't like it. I, I hear sometimes from people, they're like, wow, you should call out like, you know, the, the, the trans women on your website, the trans models you have, or like the gender nonconforming people. And I'm like, no, that's literally what I'm not going to do. Like, I'm literally not going to do that. Um, if you trust our brand to be authentic and you trust us to be who we are and you trust us to represent all women in the best possible way and how they want to be represented, then you should know we're already, we're already on that. Right. And so I, I, I don't, uh, I feel the same way about myself. Like I'm very comfortable talking about my queerness. I'm very comfortable talking about my identity, but I'm also really bored of when, you know, you want to talk about things that hold the queer community back. I'm really bored of if the CEO is queer, the product is queer. I mean, give me a fucking break. So what is there queer coffee now and queer like Coca-Cola and like queer chairs like you know what i mean queer haircuts like oh well there's definitely queer haircuts well yours is, yours is pretty <laughs> queer i don't know um but you know my point right and it's like it's it's really shitty to be bracketed that way when when you're like you know what would be great a queer leader who created a business that was worth as much money as facebook or a queer leader who created a business that was worth as much money as nordstrom or like that's actually how we're going to change the role that queer people f do you know that in the fortune 500 there's one ceo and she runs a butter company called land of lakes which is <laughs> huge but you I, know my point when I you look know, at that yeah. list and there's 50 percent of them are identifying as queer 
Sure. You know? Butter is not queer, right? So, um, well, I guess it can be. Depends I on mean, the, I've done depends some on things the youth. With, yeah. Um, well, I, I think that, you know, I, I can... I can absolutely relate to what you're saying. Of course I can. Um, I mean, are you a queer comedian? Yes. I mean, my business is... is just for queer people? No, I think that, you know, it's it's an extremely difficult line, line to ride. And yes. I, also feel dif- I also feel differently um, today than I always have. You know, like, I just mean, I, I haven't always been in one place on this. When I started doing stand-up, which, you know, I started doing comedy professionally 15 years ago, so... When you were seven. Compl- when I was four and a half. Um, <laughs> so that was a completely different environment. Like, I got my first job doing comedy the same week that marriage equality passed in Massachusetts. That's where I lived at the time. So um, I was doing improv, and when there were gay characters, they were usually the butt of the joke. Um, like, they were, it was a straight person affecting, like, some sort of effeminate, you know, like, wristy movement, and it was usually a man. Um, I would be on stage with, like, a male scene partner, and that person would often... Um, and this isn't like calling out groups I worked in or anything. Like I had really lovely friends. I just look at the whole thing. Like for me, what, what looked like an improv was that, um, there, I would be on screen. I mean, not screen. I'd be on stage and I'd be like a penguin or whatever. Like I'm doing a character that's a penguin. And then like a dude would come on and be like a character that was a penguin who wanted me to give him a blowjob. You know what I mean? Like it was so, I was always um made straight and I was always made the girlfriend like I just noticed this and so that's actually why I I stopped doing improv because I wanted to speak in my own voice felt very important to me to that's cool be out on stage and so like I started doing stand-up um over 10 years ago and at that time it was extremely stigmatized to perform in queer friendly rooms and be a gay person like what you had to do to be um, given respect by peers was performing, and I'm going to use this word in quotes, mainstream rooms. And mainstream meant straight. Um, and really, gay folks were still in gay bars, and <laughs> straight folks were still in straight bars at this time. And this is just like 10 years ago. This also, by the way, at that time, I lived in Chicago. Like, this is not like a small city. This is the third biggest city in the country. What I have seen happen since then is what you're talking about as folks age into like different generations are now in the bars. There's like a mixing. There was a, a hipness thing that happened where like hip. <laughs> you, you just used the word hipness. Yeah, where like hip and queer started to overlap. And sure. so I started seeing audiences that were a little more mixed. And um, also as I started to become more of like a name draw as opposed to just a random unknown comic on the bill, queer folks started to come to me. You know, I didn't go into gay rooms because that was like, you did not do that. That's how you ended your career. Um, and wow. it's, yeah, it's, I mean, there was a huge stigma against, there was a huge stigma against me even talking about being I gay. Think what, I think what we're talking about is kind of the same though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's why I'm, I'm saying yeah, yeah, I can yeah. totally relate. Um, I, I think it's exactly the same. Um, Cause there's no part of us that hides the queerness in our brand or in myself as like a very outspoken CEO. So, yes. but I just want it to be, I, I want to celebrate that in the biggest platform possible. I, do, I don't want it to be some small niche thing, you know? Well, eventually what I have realized in like the last two years is that it is extremely important to me. You know, I 
kept going through the comedy world and like sort of putting in my paces with like to to impress these straight dudes who wanted me to like not talk about these topics or I'm not a real comic because I perform oh, yeah. for women or I'm not a real comic because oh, yeah. I am a woman or I'm not a real comic because I address my sexuality on stage. Meanwhile, they talk about their sexuality on stage. It's just invisible because it's straightness. Um, so I just, I... That's a lot like when I go to raise money. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me. Oh, it's a room of straight white guys. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. And I, but for me, and I don't know if you, if this is real, like if you can relate to this, but for me, you know, there's two ways you can look at that, right? You can either be like, I'm not taking money from these people, or you can be like, this is a part of creating the change, right? And for, oh, yeah, for me, it's a huge part of creating the change. Like the fact that they are buying into this company and the values that it stands for is massive progress. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. I also feel that now, you know, I do have like the respect of, a lot of my peers and and that was through extremely hard work. I think that if you're somebody from a marginalized community, you have to earn respect where for some other folks, the moment you declare that you are a business person or that you're a comic, respect is given. Yeah. Or at least um bandwidth. Like, yeah, you're a comic. You've done four open mics. Meanwhile, like eight and a half years into my stand up career, it's like maybe she's a comic. But I I feel like and you know, now over ten, but I feel like um what I have noticed for myself, and I, and I feel this also in like the work that you're doing to keep the brand associated with like social justice. It's like now at this point, um, I just really want to be with my family and my family yes. is queer people and yes. my family is, you can be straight and be part of my family, yes. but you have to, you have to honestly prove it to me a little bit more yeah, totally. because like, I, I, like I know what I care about and like I'm with the folks who have been marginalized by this administration and like my my like straight dude friends trust me have proven yeah. themselves to me if it's and like that's if it's why I'm white, that's why I'm still friends with you if it's straight white cis guy wants to wear a wild feminist shirt he has gotta <laughs> he has gotta prove that shit <laughs> and I and by the way like that's funny because it, it's you know it's the it's the opposite of what I was given but like at this point I mean I just I'm tired of proving myself to someone else and I'm really ready for other people to prove themselves to me. Amen. Because what I found is that like there's a whole family that really needs really needs me to be with them. And, and that family's the future. Yes, exactly. And it's only gonna be bigger. I'm serious. No, it's like I know. And it's also the majority. You can look at it two ways. You can look at it um, you know, from like uh that's the future and I care about that. But also if your business it's you the have generation, to, yeah. You have to care upon, yeah. about like I, I think that's what's actually kind of exciting about it is that if you want to be cynical and you want to say to someone that doesn't agree with the two of us, like, Hey man, like wrap your mind around this because your business is going to die. Like now 100%. we have that on our side, which is 100%. actually like really nice. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, when I, and I, again, my world's retail, right. But like I look at most retailers and I'm like, Oh, you're, you're going to be so irrelevant in 10 years. Well, I mean, you're talking about existing in a brick and mortar space when, you know, you're reading the, and then, Having Cecile Richards like walk through your brick and mortar space, yeah, that's a that's a decent bet that folks are going to attach to that in a different way. And so I just you know, I think we're we're talking about the same thing. We are other businesses should be following your example. Well, I mean, you know, look, this podcast will come out and then we go down in flames, right? So this, <laughs> both but, of us, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
career ending podcast. <laughs> I think it's important to talk about the decisions that folks are making behind the scenes. I, I loved what you had to say about, you know, why you decided to um, stand with that clinic in South Dakota. I think there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. I also think like, you know, let's not, I don't want to be pitched as any uh, crusader over here. I'm white. I speak English. I had a college degree. I came here as an immigrant with a job. Like I had privilege oozing out of every pore, right? So um, it was actually another friend. Um, uh, he emigrated from, or he, he was a refugee from uh, Cambodia, survived the Khmer Rouge, whole other story. But he said to me, um, he kept inviting me to all these crap events, like really crap all white guy events. And I was like, look, Keelong, I'm not, I am not going to those events. They sound so bad. Like, I already work too much. I'm not going. And he was like, am I one word for you? Infiltrate. <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know what that means. He was like, it's so important. You have the ability to get into those rooms. Same for you in comedy. You have the ability to get into those rooms. And it's your job to get in there, be at that table, and then kick the door down for everyone who looks even a little bit or sounds a little bit like you behind. And and that was like a real turning point for me of like, stop being such a privileged asshole and like start. You There's work to do. And like, you got work to do. Oh, man. There's so much work to do. But you're doing over there. I know. You're doing it, too. Thanks. Yeah. Good job. Right back at you. Good job. Well, before I send you back uh, to whatever cool thing you're going to do in those coveralls. Tonight? Yeah. Actually, I'm wearing a tuxedo tonight. Are you? I am wearing a tuxedo (sighs) for election night. Yeah. Beautiful. I figured I should dress up. Yeah, you should. Literally fancy pants. Can I ask, do you know this advance? What do you, how are you going to do your hair when you wear a tuxedo? Because you have longer hair. I'm just curious. I do have longer hair. Um, well, uh, often I like to slick it back. Mm, like, are we talking like a pony? Or are we talking no, about no, it's no. down, but it's, it's slicked? It's down, but it's slicked. And then I, I backcomb the front pretty hard, which I know you'll get. Because mm. you like a little volume. Absolutely. So I backcomb the front pretty hard. And then a lot of gel. Oh. Do you remember gel? Of course. Yeah, gel used to be a thing when I was growing up. But yeah. I bring it back sometimes. So gel and then slick it back. Um, yeah. I very much look forward to this photograph. You know, when I'm traveling, a lot of times I hear about uh, questions about formal wear, which I'm sure you get too because of the business that you're, there, that you're in. It's really interesting to talk about folks who are like, oh my God, you have long hair. How could you ever wear a suit? Like, I just mean like, you know, we're still in that era, I right? Know. Like where it's, we're still in that era. Um, so sorry. Hera, I that was good. Yeah. I like that. Uh, <laughs> I caught that. So anyway. Our suits are for, great, by the way. We're, we're working on the tuxedo. It's coming. 2019. Oh yeah. Well, let's talk about this off the air. I want to hear more. Cool. Um, okay. Before I send you back into your day, getting your hair done, would you like to shout out a queero, which is anybody place thing made you feel confident being the person you are today? Um, I'm going to go with my partner. I'm going to go with Sarah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, the last four and a half years, um, have just been, oh, they would have broken me in so many other ways. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, uh, she is actually the person that had the conversation with me about bringing my identity through more. Cause she was like, Hey, I grew up in, so she's pretty femme and she grew up in Chandler, Arizona, which is not the most liberal part of the United States. Uh, and she was like, there was no one look, there were no queer people. There was no gay people. There was no one that looked like me, um, uh, in that community. And I felt super lonely and I didn't think I had any options. And if I'd have seen a, a, a CEO stand up and talk about being queer and talk about their partner and 
uh, my whole life might have been different. And I think when you stand up, you need to recognize that and stop being an asshole and like bring that through more. And uh, yeah, it it changed it changed me pretty hardcore. Um, and so you know that piece came to mind when you asked the question, and then also. Um, yeah, just putting up with me. Like it's not, it's not, it's not that easy to, you know, for my highs and lows. It's like every day there's like, oh my God, this happened. Oh my God, this happened. It's all over. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to give her a show as my queero and she's very queer. Awesome. Super gay. Oh, I love, I mean, me too. She's very gay. Oh, mainly for me, but <laughs> also for Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh wow! That w- that's both of our that's, that's a that's I both mean, of our lobster. Is really? that what it's called? That's the I person we would both take a freebie on if we could. I don't know if that's called a lobster, but it is now, as of this podcast. Your freebie, yeah. Michelle Fe- if Michelle Pfeiffer listens to this oh, podcast, man. if she came out with some lemons on the side, a little butter dipping dish. <laughs> okay, thanks so much, Emma, for coming by. Yeah, thanks for you. having me. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I mean, Jazos. <laughs> Ruler of the Eighth Circle. And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.